All right, we have the opportunity now in our worship, as we do from week to week, to dive into a portion of the Bible, of the Christian scriptures. And the passage that we're reading this morning, if you brought your Bible with you, great. I always encourage people uh, to do that, not just to be reliant uh, upon the overhead. That is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and what we're going to do is we're going to read just verses 42 to the end of the chapter as what we're doing this morning is continuing our series on what we call spiritual formation. What it means not only to be drawn to Jesus Christ and be a Christian, but also once drawn to Jesus Christ, how to grow in him how to be formed in him, how to reflect his likeness in our own lives. And one of the ways that Christ has given us, or one of the means that Christ has given us for not only drawing us to Jesus, but growing in Jesus, is this right here, the church. Now, um, oftentimes, just as a little bit of a preface to this passage, oftentimes when you read books on spiritual formation, and there are a number of really helpful books out there, they oftentimes focus on the individual means that we need to employ in order to grow in Christ. So individual prayer, individual Bible reading, what we call personal devotions, right? Or uh, taking time to be by ourselves, the importance of silence and solitude, what it means to individually sit at the feet of Jesus Christ, and, and the importance of taking a rest in the midst of the busyness and the distractions of life in order to take time to be with Jesus. Notice all the things that I just mentioned are very individual, which fit in well with our Western individualistic culture. But when you take a look at the culture that the Bible seeks to cultivate in our lives, it is a very ecclesial-focused culture, that is, a very church-focused culture. And the fact of the matter is, however long you have been in Christ, whether a few weeks, a few months, or your entire life, the fact is, we all need the local church for what it provides us. What does it provide us for our spiritual formation? That is what we're going to be taking a look at this morning. So draw your attention to, I was going to say Acts 2.42, but what I want to do is I want to go back just one verse, actually. If you have your Bibles, you'll be able to see that. Acts 2, verse 41. This occurs on the heels of the pouring out of the Spirit of Christ upon the Apostle Peter, who preaches a very powerful sermon focusing on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, Many individuals are affected. Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Have you ever heard that in your life? Where one, a minister preaches the gospel. You don't even hear that, I think, in, in the best of the Billy Graham crusades, right? 3,000 people came to Christ. They may claim that, but, man, what we see here, it was a very unusual thing in redemptive history. 3,000. I mean, it's a pastor's dream, right? Verse 42, and they devoted themselves, these individuals who came to Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who, were, who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day after day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is what we call the gold standard when it comes to the local church. Who would not want to belong to a church like that? Really, I mean, it, it's, it's nothing but good news there. Now, that's not something that we see all the time in churches in Canada and even in Abbotsford and maybe even sometimes here. The church has warts. The church has blemishes. We all know that. We are not a perfect people. But here, in the beginning, it seems like everything is perfect, although, while many Christians say, Oh, when I think of the early church, I think of perfection. Actually, it was very good in the beginning, but it didn't take long before the church to experience, oh, divisions and doctrinal error and and little implosions here and there. And the reason why I say that is because if you're somewhat familiar with the Bible, particularly the New Testament, you know there are two books called 1 and 2 Corinthians, which are, by the way, one of the earliest books of the recording of the, or the description of the early church. And when you go to the, if you know anything about the book of First and Second Corinthians, you know it's a pastoral nightmare. Churches have got all kinds of problems. But at this point, immediately after the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit, everything's thumbs up. Everything is wonderful. It's just wonderful. We're going to explore this church. Before we do, um, I want to bring one thing out that has to do the passage and the kind of fellowship and community and love and generosity we find in this passage. I don't know how many of you are thinking about this this time of year, but it was just over, a little over a year ago, that Joy and I, when we were considering whether or not to come to Abbotsford, um, met with the leadership at one of those famous ditch visits because this country would not let us in because of COVID. So we met with the leadership, we met with the elders and deacons, and, and they were literally, I mean, I was standing here, probably where Hetty is. That's all the farther we were from each other, maybe, what, 10 feet. And you couldn't come to the U.S. side, and we as U.S. citizens couldn't come to your side at that point. And then after that, we had subsequent ditch visits some months later. Joy and I came up. We tried to get in the country, and we were turned around. We got flagged. And then we had to go back, and we had plan B with the leadership. Leadership says, if that doesn't work, we're going to have further ditch visits, not just with the leadership again, but also with members of the congregation. Do you remember this? Look at that. Yeah. Okay, there we are. We're talking. Dan, you're wearing the same coat, right? Okay, go on. Do another one. There we go. Furthermore, some of you even took chairs, and you just sat down there. See, Bert and Ruth, I'll make out a few others there. But anyway, and you sat down and became comfy, and we had more. That's how we got to know each other. That was our dating period, right? And then finally, oh, then those guys came along, and I said to Joy after this, there's no way we're coming to Abbotsford. Can you trust those guys? Especially that guy on the left. Look at that. His name will go unmentioned, Walter. But anyway, okay, no. Wonderful times that we had together, you know. But listen, I wanted to have, bring a visual of that to you. That's what was going on. Um, not so long ago, as we were interacting with each other. Now, 
Subsequently, we had a number of Zoom sessions, and I had a number of questions prepared for you as a new church, questions that were very important to me, and I trust were important to you as we got talking. And the, 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 the first question I asked you was a very simple question, but it, it would, it, it, I planned on having it tell me a lot about you. Why did you come to Pathway? Why did you come to Pathway? And do you remember the, the number one reason that was given? It was not the only reason, but the number one reason was community. We want community, we want relationships, we want intimacy, and, and then others of you added other things, but why, why think, think about this, why did you give that answer? And then we're going to get to this passage. Why did you give that answer, community or relationships? Because it's a very understandable answer. And I'll tell you why you said that. Maybe because you felt that you weren't experiencing that before. I don't want to get into that. But the thing is, is that the reason why any genuine Christian wants community, wants genuine relationships, is because that's the kind of God that we serve. A God who is a relational God. A God who is a sovereign, but also a very personal God. A God who, in Orthodox Christian theology, exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not three entities, not three things, but three persons. When you use the word person, that reflects relationships, personality, intimacy. And when you examine the Bible, you see that between the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's perfect love, community, intimacy, and God created us in his likeness to enter into that relational side with him, but also with each other, which then Jesus gives us the body of Christ, as the church is called, to cultivate, to grow those relationships with him, but also with each other. Okay? And that's exactly what we see here in this passage, beautifully expressed. Now, when you take a look at verse 42, I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but I want to set the context very quickly. Here is the context. When you look at the first four books of the New Testament, what are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They record the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and focus on his ministry, yes, of preaching and miracles, as demonstrations that the king and the kingdom have come, but also they focus on the suffering and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, where he ascended into heaven. So Jesus suffers and he dies. Three days later, what happens? He rises from the dead. Then 40 days after that, after Jesus preaches the kingdom and gives evidences that he indeed had risen from the dead, after that, what happens? After 40 days, he ascends into heaven. And then after that, what happens? Ten days later, Christ pours forth his spirit upon the church, energizing, empowering the church, God's people, to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus, throughout the Mediterranean region, beginning with that, and then throughout the whole world. And it is the Holy Spirit who also empowered the apostles to preach. And one person that the Spirit empowered was the Apostle Peter, who, if you know the story of the Bible, denied Jesus not once, twice, but three times. He lived in fear. But when the Spirit comes upon a person, that Spirit gives that person power, the Spirit gives that person um, boldness, courage. And so Peter preaches this sermon to a number of men who had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. 
These men came from Jerusalem itself, but these men also came through, um, from, from various sectors of the Mediterranean region to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And while all these men, there are thousands of individuals, while these men are gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, 120 believers in Jesus Christ approximately receive the descent of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, and they begin to speak in languages. The languages of these men who were scattered throughout the Mediterranean who had come to Jerusalem. And these men are listening to the gospel, the good news of Jesus in their own language. And they're all wondering, how in the world is this? What is happening here? But they hear the good news and they take it back to the Mediterranean region. And they spread the good news of Jesus there. And that's how the church begins to grow. Meanwhile, some of the men who are from Jerusalem and these 120 believers attach themselves after embracing the good news of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. They attach themselves to the church in Jerusalem. So in other words, they just didn't receive the good news of Jesus and go on their merry way and live their individual lives. No, they attach themselves to the local church. This is why when I speak to individuals who are outside the Christian faith and I work with them and they start coming to faith, I tell them very simply and very bluntly, listen, if you come to Christ, if you come to Jesus, you can't just have Jesus. You also have to have his church. Because in the Bible, there's a very close tie, there's a very close connection between Jesus and the church, because Jesus has given us the church for our formation. What was the church in Jerusalem doing when they gathered together? All right, verse 42. Notice what they were doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, those four basic things. A church cannot be healthy unless it possesses these four things. We can't look at the early church and say, well, that's what they were devoted to, but maybe we have evolved a little bit further than that. No, you have to have those four things to be a healthy body. And what I want to do is I want to take just a couple minutes to get into some technical matters of verse 42. Just not only to properly explain the passage, but also... Um, so that we begin to embrace the importance of this passage for our own lives. I was, I was struck with Len's prayer when he prayed, the congregation of prayer, that, with, that when he prayed for the preaching, he prayed that there would not only be power in the preaching, but that there would be truth. And we can't really grasp the truth unless we sometimes get in some technicalities. Now, if you have your Bibles open, take a look at verse 42. Otherwise, look at verse 42 on the overhead. Notice what they were devoting themselves to. Four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Very quickly. If you notice closely the language here, you'll notice the definite article, the, comes before each of these four things that they were doing. You have the, and by the way, this is a good translation of the original Greek language, because the Greek language contains those definite articles. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I think what the Bible is doing here is it's placing the definite article, the, in order to accentuate or to magnify the basic four component parts. That these four component parts are basic and they're very important. That, first of all. Now, let's deal with the first one, the apostles' teaching. Notice when they gathered together, they were devoted not just to the apostles' teaching, but to all these four matters. They were devoted 
That means that they were intentional. People just didn't come to church, and people didn't involve themselves in the body of Jesus Christ just so that they could periodically kind of delve into this. But they were serious students of the Word. Now, at this time in the early church, all they had was the first two-thirds of this book, the Old Testament, because the New Testament had not been written yet, right? So, they're looking at the Old Testament, but they're also hearing the message of the apostles, and they're teaching, mainly focused, not exclusively, but mainly focused on the person work of Christ that provides the substance of Peter's preaching. In other words, they were, they were serious about doctrine. They were serious about teaching. They wanted their faith to go deep, not superficial, but deep. Are we a people of the apostles' teaching? Do we take it seriously, not only from the standpoint of this podium, but our own personal lives, the apostles' teaching? Secondly, what were they devoted to? It says the fellowship, community, relationships. The word in the original language is, maybe you've heard this before, it's the word koinonia, which is talking about intimate spiritual fellowship. The fellowship, the relationships that they were experiencing were not first and foremost rooted in ethnicity or culture or maybe genetics. Oh, I know so-and-so, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my cousin, that happens in the church, that's okay. But when koinonia is used here, the tie that bound the people together, again, was not race, ethnicity, culture, genetics, it was the tie that they had in Christ. Together, even though they were different, skin color, culture, ethnicity, they were one in Christ. Why? Because they were united to Christ by faith, and together they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of tie that we should want at Pathway. Our primary tie is that we share Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit. Number three, there is the breaking of bread or the breaking of the bread. The definite article used there. I want to suggest to you very quickly that the kind of breaking of bread that they were sharing was not only the kind of fellowship that they had in each other's homes, but it was also referring to the kind of fellowship that they experienced, the kind of communion that they had with Christ and each other in the celebration of the bread, the Lord's Supper. And finally this, and something I want us to hear very closely here, it's very simple, but they were devoted to the prayers, the prayers, not just individual prayer, but they got together, as we do here, especially in our care groups and in our worship, they got together for the sake of prayer. Because what good is searching of the Scriptures and the Apostles' Doctrine? What good are the sacraments, particularly the Lord's Supper? And what good is fellowship if we're not a praying community? We are so dependent upon the Lord for the blessings that we have for this church. So, they were devoted to four things. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this. because I think it's a very, very important point, especially at this stage of where we're at in the church. These four things are a reflection of a healthy and a balanced church. There was in-depth study and a commitment to knowledge and a gaining of discernment, but there was also a relational intimacy at the same time. Have you ever noticed in the history of the church how oftentimes things get wonky? 
to get in balance. And many times in the church, what you have this, you have some churches, and I've experienced this personally, we have churches very much devoted to doctrine, very much devoted to teaching. They take their preaching very seriously, and they talk about the need for substance and, and, and doctrinal growth and all of that. And that's a good thing. But then when you look over here, you also see at the same time, some people are suffering. Why are they suffering? Because their relationships are not intimate. Because the relationships are not growing. People are on the side, and they're feeling cold, and they're feeling objective, and you kind of go, there's something wrong there. And what is it? It's imbalance. You see this all the time. On the other hand, sometimes you find in the church where they're very deep into relationships and community and prayer, but the doctrinal side of things is really weak. It's very watered down, and the people are not grounded in their faith, right? So you have this going on, and... and uh, in reality, we have to say, well, kind of a plague on both your houses, a plague on this and a plague on that. What we want is the kind of structural strength, but also relational strength that we find in our passage here this morning. We want this kind of balance, but how difficult. This is, having been now almost in the ministry for 30 years, I think one of the number one challenges of any local church and any denomination or federation is to, 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 have this kind of, to have this kind of balance. It's very difficult to attain, and it's very difficult to maintain. A.V., if you put that uh, quote on by uh, Tim Keller. I'm just going to read it from here. A man named Tim Keller writes this. He says, Centuries of experience have taught us that it is very difficult to keep order and ardor, that is, organization and organism, structure, and relationships together. The proponents of order, structure, tend to see only the disadvantages, or only the advantages of a stable organization, and only the disadvantages of a movement or a new direction. There's a, sp There's a suspicion there. On the other hand, the proponents of a new direction or movement only see the disadvantages of a stable organization. They just think it's cold and tired and the advantages of a new direction. The church at its healthiest is both organized and organic. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of both. Therefore, they should exist in harmony with one another. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of order. And he wants order and stability in the church. On the other hand, the Holy Spirit is the author of new movements and new healthy directions and relationships and community. We don't pit one against the other, do we? We want a healthy balance of both. Why do I take time with that? Because that is going to be the challenge at Pathway. And that is going to be the big challenge for leadership here in the first two years, really, to seek a balance of depth, but also breadth of community and relationships. May God give us both, and may God give us the ability to kind of reflect what we have here in our passage, because there's more here. Take a look at what they are experiencing here in this passage. Go to verse 43. And awe came upon every soul... Things were going on in the church. There was power in the church. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That was a special moment at that point in history. But there was power present. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in disagreement? No, in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
The day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, there was fellowship in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. I'll look at the last half of verse 47 in just a moment. Um, A.V., if you also put on Acts chapter 4, this is what's continuing to go on in the Jerusalem church a couple of chapters later. Now, the full number of those who believed were with one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And so when you put Acts 2 and Acts 4 together, when you look at these two passages in connection with the Jerusalem church, you kind of go, wow. What they have here is doctrinal fidelity and depth, They have community, they have unity, they have love and joy and power and prayer and generosity and like, who of us here wouldn't want to belong to that kind of group? I mean, this is the gold standard for the church. And yet sometimes what you find is that, as I said earlier, it's it's very difficult to attain to these things and pursue them, because, you know, um, the kind of description that I've given of the early church, that's just not plopped in our laps. You have to work for that, and you have to pray for that. Sometimes churches have a struggle with that. Um, Who can forget the words of a man named Jack Miller, who once they heard him, who who said this, he said, And he came from what we call a reform background. He said, you know, he said, in reform backgrounds, we build these fabulous castles, but sometimes we forget to put in doors and windows. We have these wonderful structures, but we forget to put in doors and, and, and windows. And personally then, if that is true, I look around and I see a gym. One, two, three, four, five, six basketball rims. Doesn't feel like a church building. Who cares? When you have truth and when you have love and you have an outward perspective. That's what matters. The people matter. And the mission of the church and the values of the church matter. Not first and foremost, the castles. Not first and foremost, the buildings, although one day the Lord may provide that for us. Well, I trust that we don't want to be a windowless or doorless castle, but we want to be a reflection of what we find here in this passage. And given that time is moving forward, I want to say just a few words about the final part of this passage, where because the church is devoted to the right things, what happens is the Lord blesses it. And the last thing that we read in verse 47 is this, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I want you to take a close look at the wording there. Who's adding to their number? The people? No. You can have all the right things in place but still struggle because we live in a fallen world. It's the Lord who chose to bless the church and the commitments that they made. It says here, the Lord Not the church, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The word for number there is the word ekklesia, which is the New Testament word for the church. 
So people just weren't hearing the gospel and then went their merry way, but the church ensured that once they came to Christ, they were not left alone, but they came a part of the church community. And then one other thing, notice here that, that the Lord, notice that it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were saved. So they were saved out there, maybe through street evangelism, and then they were brought into the church. No, it says day by day the Lord added those who were being saved. In other words, in the process of being saved, in the process of being drawn to Christ, the implication being this is that people were hearing the gospel in the context of the community and the worship of the church, and the Lord was saving them. He was drawing them to Christ and adding them to the body. That's what the church is supposed to look like. That's that's a picture of the healthy church. So, and, and that has to be our prayer here. This is something that we need to pray for, and this is something that we need to work for. Our simple prayer is, Lord, what we see in Acts chapter 2, Lord, make us like that, we pray. Form that in us, not only for our own spiritual formation, but also that we may make an impact in the city, O Lord, in which you have placed us. So, I'll leave you with this. The life that we see in the early church and in this passage is something that really we should all want. Um, and just speaking to the kids here just a moment, what we see in this church is something that you should want. You should want to. And you know what? Those of us who are adults, when we remember when we were, when we were kids, church was sometimes a hard thing, you know? Sometimes you'd just rather stay home. But home... You may not quite realize this. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. But, but the local church, your church family here, is going to be the place where you're going to grow. You're going to learn how to love on others, and you're going to learn how to love Jesus above all. And that's our prayer for you, that you may not be bored here. And you know what, kids? We want you involved here. You notice that sometimes we didn't do that this morning, but we involve children here. Sometimes in the music, we want you to sing out. We want you to say the Apostles' Creed with us. We want you to be a part of this body. We don't want you to just kind of kick back and be a, a passive person here and just endure our worship services so that when you get, I don't know, 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever, then you get serious. We want you to love Jesus now. We want you to get serious now. We want you to be a part of this church because you mean something to us, right? Who would not want this? And we want you to say that to yourself. Why wouldn't I want that? Wouldn't I want that? But all of us, we need what we find here. We need the Apostles' Doctrine to deepen us. We need prayer to nourish our souls. We need the sacrament to give us a steely spine and strengthen our faith. And we need community to grow us in our relationship with Christ and also with each other. And then finally this. This is not something that just we need, but that our community needs. If this is where life is, this is where joy is, and this is where relationships are, then, then, then we, need to, we need to want to involve others in this, whether it be a simple invitation or the Lord works or a website, but that has to be our prayer that, that the Lord would bring us and that they may also be a part of this living body here as well, right? To have, to have people say, you know, when I come to Pathway, man, it is, it is different than what I find in the world because what I find in the world is superficiality, 
um, I find sensuality, I find abuse, I find violence, I find people who are not happy, people who are struggling. Do you know when I come to this place, it's different. Even if it's for an hour, an hour and a half, oh, it's different, and how, what a wonderful thing it is. And that's the way it was with those who were added to the church in Jerusalem. So may God give us this desire to draw part of this. And if you are here this morning and you've never really been a living member of a local church, our prayer is for you. Consider Pathway. Consider this place. You're going to see problems here. You're going to see our warts and blemishes. But hopefully you will find a people who fundamentally are committed to the Lord, committed to each other, committed to their children, and committed to this city. God generate this more and more in us, right? Oh, I'm always struck by oh, so much more to say, but enough. Let's pray together. That's the most important thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need to be taught and we need to be encouraged. We need to be prompted through your word to live the kind of lives and be the kind of church that you want us to be. But Lord, we know also on the basis of our passage just how important it is to pray, to pray in worship to pray for each other and with each other. And to that end, we pray that you will bless our care groups in the coming week as we discuss further the kinds of things that we have looked at here this morning. God bless us as a church. Bless us as individuals, but bless us as a church. Help us to go deep. Help us to go broad. Help us to go upward. To find our ultimate joy and our satisfaction in Christ that will be a satisfaction and joy that is expressed among each other. And after the worship service, Lord, bless our koinonia fellowship together, O oh God, as we meet, as we greet, as we encourage. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and let all God's people say, amen.